Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Udang damang sanggang namasami So using the teachings that we've been handed down, teachings that have been given by the Buddha, commented on many different ways over the centuries. It's a, it's a wisdom teaching. It's a teaching that encourages one to, to look directly into one's mind, one's heart, one's life, one's actions. Uh, it's not a belief teaching. It's not a kind of assume this or it's not even a really a kind of a big get anywhere teaching yeah. you know sometimes it's slightly um, not so inspiring because it's mostly about clearing away cleaning off purifying clearing the eyes so that it's not really what we see but how we see you know, it's not like you suddenly get some big thing that you see, but you, you you see through delusion, confusions, reactions, assumptions, biases. Well, not such a pretty sight sometimes, but seeing through them is good. You feel fresh. So the, the seeing is, is not just the kind of intellectual seeing, it's very much uh, connected to, has an effect on the heart. One feels bright, one feels clear, one feels peaceful. It's a wisdom teaching. And wisdom, you know, really can be seen in a range of ways. There's kind of the ability to basically know, know something as an object, that's that. You know, you can define something, you can see, you say what something is. Also, the wisdom that can see what's this mean to me, you know, what's the what's the what's the really important bit in this? You know? There's the wisdom which is about what's the, what's the cause and effect, you know, of these of thoughts or feelings or actions. So you kind of it's an assessing kind of wisdom, isn't it? You know? Well, all these you might say involve a certain quality of being sensitive to be able to discriminate. But also there's a wisdom which begins to learn, you know. Ah, oh, we can, there's a certain, you might say, an accumulative effect. You really start to, to, to learn something. And then you can gradually, progressively learn more or be clearer. Or you don't have to go back to, to old habits. Yeah. And this was a wisdom of uh, a realization, a sense of just bright openness, where the mind isn't biased or flustered. And this is called the the highest kind of wisdom, you know, the most profound, because uh, it's the wisdom that releases us from suffering, confusion, agitation, defensiveness, reactivity. You know. Where in that somehow the, the the unsatisfactoriness of the sensory world gets into us, 
It doesn't have to. Sometimes, you know, the wisdom is something just first we leave, you can get it intellectually. And it's really a nice point to remember that there's two kinds of what's called dukkha, you might say. Well, it can be seen in a range of ways, but dukkha is a characteristic, means that everything you can see or touch or sense in any way is the nature to, to break up. You know, this hall is already, walls are starting to crack already. <laughs> You know, so everything that we make and do is, has the nature of to break up, and it's unsatisfactory. You know, in that you know, in a hall like this, you can think of things that could be bigger or better or one or another. You know, it's um, it can it's got its limitations to what you can do with it. Hmm? So things are fragile, things are breakable, things have limited, you know, things don't last. And, uh, you know, that's a characteristic, isn't it? The planet itself is not an inexhaustible resource. It's fragile, it's, it's breakable, um, it's limited. You need to learn to live within that. That's just the dukkha, you might say. It's not, it doesn't have to be painful. It can be a sense of can be uh, ask us to be responsible. Dukkha that, uh, or what's called dukkha, unsatisfactoriness or suffering, that that is really the um, theme of, of the Buddha's teaching is the dukkha, where this limitations, this breakability, this fragility of of compounded things gets into us and annoys us irritates us, disappoints us, frustrates us. Most obviously, you know, we see the other people's bodies breaking up, our own body breaking up, things dying, sickness, aging, death, loss of faculties, you know, it's so sad. Headaches, physical pain, what bodies go through, the limitations of them, gets into you. We can look at our social systems, you know, have the limitations, this country, limited size, overcrowded, you might say, limited resources. So we can feel this kind of sense of too many people or pressure or whatever. Limited societies are limited in terms of their rules and laws. They're, you know, you're trying to create a law for 60 million people. You know, it's not going to fit everybody, is it? Even in a community of 25, you know, you try and lay down some routine everybody feels really happy with all the time, and it isn't going to happen. <laughs> Doesn't mean if people complain, but you think, okay, well, fine, go along with that, you know, because that's that's doesn't get any better than that, really, you know. And something this can is wise enough to know, well, you know, don't make a thing out of it. Just learn to soften, 
flow go along. So we have a, a, a you know, or, or if we're not, we don't do that, then we tighten up, get resistant, defensive, rebellious, whatever happens. So, you know, when there's when there's unsatisfactoriness or limitations of life aren't really uh, responded to, handled, understood, then we suffer. And, you know, the most difficult thing to really understand more than just intellectually, understand emotionally, you know, so those emotions aren't fighting against it, resisting it. Nothing like physical pain, aging, death, separation from the loved. These are not intellectually resolvable. It's an emotional uh, understanding or an emotional clarity or an emotional breadth or an emotional, you know, psychological that has to be accomplished which isn't so easy, wisdom has to penetrate the fibres of our reactions, attitudes and assumptions. You know, until we begin to to come to the, where we really can study it closely, we begin to see there's more suffering in holding on to this than there is in letting go and opening up to it. You know, that's basically what it comes down to. You know, most of us, it's the last thing you do, but eventually, you, you know, <laughs> there's just more suffering resisting this, fighting against it, than there isn't just, you know, letting it be that way, letting it in. You know, that's what often happens when people die. You know, as there's a struggle, body struggles, you know, in a way it's out of control, and then at a certain point there's a kind of ability to, to, to let go, you know. And of course, when we we have separation and separation from the love, it's rather like that. You know, you get this inability to accept it emotionally. You know, your friends, your partner, whatever it is, leaves or parts, goes away. You know, that, that struggle, and then something in you can finally, you know, seize it or can get to the place where it's it's easier to accept that 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 discomfort than to keep resisting it. So, you know, it's as an understanding that actually we do have some choice. We we do suffering. We do it something in we don't do it deliberately, nobody wants to suffer. But our our systems, our reactions, our mechanisms kick in and you get this reactive uh, stuff. Yeah. So all of us have, uh, you know, human consciousness is endowed with volition, the will to do, which is not just physical actions, but to think requires some kind of go there, activate it, you know. To focus requires volition, some sense of focus on that, put that aside. To choose requires volition, you know. And it's, it's just a raw ingredient when we get excited, the volition kicks in, it stirs us up. It's kind of, it's an energy. You know? 
And a lot of it is just reflex and, you know, it's just programmed in. You feel yourself stirred up, your mind gets happy, you know. There's a wish to say something, you know. That goes on. Just, re- just reflexes running through. And you begin to see this is when you, uh, you know, <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you stop or when you can't do that, then you see the push. Like we have times of silence, that sense of, you know, or times of sitting still, times of not much to do and something, and you start to kind of push and fret and fidget and run around, you know. And it's not, we don't choose to do it. It's just that's, that's the system. So actually, you know, really trying to bring this, this uh, understanding into the depths of our reactions and reflexes to the point when you know you can even not get ir- not get angry you know <laughs> you know you can have something irritating happen and you don't don't the volition doesn't have to kick into producing this kind of rage and defense you know whether you act upon it or not so this is you know the Buddha's talking about we don't have to be carried away. But he also said you have to really have a path to do that. It's a nice idea, it's an inspiring idea. Sometimes it seems way out of reach. And yet he said, yeah, you know, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You can do it a little bit. Do it a little bit and do that little bit, it will actually have an effect where you get clearer, calmer, steadier, more confident. And then if you do a little bit more, do a little bit more, you get a bit calmer, more steady, more resources, more understanding, you can do a little bit more. It's like that, isn't it? So you don't, I'm not saying we're going to kind of wipe out every reaction, but you start to see particular, your wisdom again tells you, well, you can't, this is too, you can't do this, you can do this bit, you know, do this bit. Yeah. And maybe we could do, the bit we can do is just uh, um, not be idealistic, <laughs> too idealistic, you know, let's put that one aside, be pragmatic, you know, in too high ideals can be suffering. But practice, you yeah. Practicing the limitations of the body, the emotional makeup, the psychology that we have at this particular moment. You know, where's the place where we can stretch a little, release a little? You know. So you know, wisdom does that. Looks around, sees. You know. There's particular signs to look for. There's a, you know that that the signs were, where of the kind of reactions that happen that try to stop us feeling suffering or stress or hurt or vulnerable, and yet actually make life difficult. And one of them is the running, fidgeting, the distracting, the scampering, the scurrying. So get us off that edge, you know. Get us away from that hot spot. So it's going to be scurry, fidget, 
restless, you know, it's that. You know, so people who say, I never suffer, I'm fine. So we'll just sit still for an hour, will you? Let's see, <laughs> check that out. <laughs> sit still for half an hour, you know. See if you don't experience any kind of sense of restlessness or boredom or unpleasant memories coming up, you know. So yeah, you don't suffer as long as you keep on the hop. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of part of the whole problem, isn't it? You just have to keep running all the time, doing something, buying something, entertaining oneself all the time. We just go nuts, you know? So how much of human activity is just doing that? Normal, normalized, isn't it? Read a book, watch the telly, drink, something to eat, chat to somebody, phone somebody up. Oh, no, I'm getting along fine. Yeah, right. But how much resources get used in that? What happens when it breaks down, when you can't do it? Running is one of them. And running isn't always just an external thing. You can, it's also an internal kind of thing, you know. Running can be accompanied by doubt. Oh, I don't think this is right. No, I can't do this. This isn't for me. I don't know about that. Why should I, you know? It could be accompanied by ill will. Oh, I don't see why I should have to do that. It can be accompanied by sense desire. Oh, one of those looks nice. Why can't I do that? <laughs> have one of those, you know. But it's the same kind of, you know, get running thing. You know? <laughs> so just, you know, I mean, I do this. My mind does this. It's not some kind of, talk to them, high moral position. But just, I'm just get really, kind of witness that. And just see where it's running to. And, and does that, does it actually take you off the heat, or is it just keep keep you carrying the heat in your back pocket? <laughs> as soon as you sit down, it feels hot again. <laughs> you know. So sometimes, well, sooner or later, most of us find places where we say, "Well, you know, uh, I can stop. I can bear with it. I can then start to take out." The heat, the fire, the craving, you know what it comes down to. Craving for to be filled with something. Craving to have something flood one's veins, one's nervous system, pick me up. Craving to be solid and belong to something. Craving to get away from something. And none of this can be accomplished, I, in my understanding, without some kind of antidote. You know, so a lot of meditation is actually antidote. It's like um, palliative, calm. You know, bring yourself to breathing in and breathing out. You can stay with that. It's got a calming effect. So you need the calm supports the wisdom because it helps want the mind to to swallow the pill, if you like, to, to just have somewhere where we feel more comfortable so that we can actually, you know, come through this, like it's coming off of an addiction to running. You can meet that restless flurry and just breathing in, breathing out, 
soothe, steady the nervous system. So we start to to at least clear these these uh, symptoms, these effects, and the topics, of course, which are so con- so incredibly convincing. You know? So you, when you're meditating, first of all, you're just starting to see the topics and how how um, incessant they can be and how kind of irrational they can be. You know, it's not fair. It's not a true readout of what you want. It's just the mind starts reaching for any old rubbish and throwing it in the air. Something you can get irritated by or excited by or speculate about. You know. get, get some action going on. And yeah, you know, it's, not, it's just to witness that and recognize we can, we have the wisdom to be able to know that get the overall feel of it, say, wow, no, no, no. You know, the topics can be convincing, but the feel, the feeling it leaves in the mind is not, it's not, it's, it's kind of hot, restless, prickly. And then just breathing in, breathing out through that feeling, through that restless, prickly feeling, calming, soothing. So then we start to be able to, to let go both of the topics of our desires, our irritations, our speculative doubts, our restlessness, our aversion to ourself or whatever it is. You know. And then the underlying volition which does it. You know, that, that need to do. Another sign to to look out for is the, is the wall, the shield. You know, it's another way in which we we uh, try to stave off the dukkha penetrating. Is you, we build a wall, we have a little shield, and uh, so something that tightens up. You know, the tightening up can be just back off, defensive. You know. I don't want to be touched, I don't want to be hurt, I don't want to feel anything you know, seize up, you know, like that. Most of us will kind of flinch somewhere in the mind. Hmm? That's a natural enough reaction, but then it can, rather than just kind of flinch and then, okay, relax, you can actually stay there as a, as a whole um, life statement. <laughs> You know, there's people walking around with, with, with cases on, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> holding it together. Uh, because it, the, uh, uh, you know, it's obviously a bodily reaction to, to, to unpleasant impingement. But when it's in your mind, yeah, you know, as, as a bodily thing, bracing, seat tightening up, it sort of works in a way. But in your mind, what it does is it actually traps the dukkha inside. <laughs> yeah? Do you, do you see what I mean? You know? It kind of holds it there. So you get this feeling of resistance. And that resistance means it's still s- simmering away. The thing that's annoying, disappointing other people's behavior, or whatever, it just stays there. <clears throat> It stays there. It becomes latent. 
at any moment, you know, it can kind of pop up again. So the kind of see, just the trying to stiffen up around that doesn't really work. Yeah, so what's it like when we actually, in one of the things we do in meditation, just learning to soften those, those, those resist that resistance, the wall. And it means often the kind of, you get the, the, the initial thing is, is as it, often you get this kind of, um, you know, emotional um, d- turmoil, like feeling agitated. Uh, and some distress, you know. And then you keep breathing through, breathing in, breathing out, until that kind of wave clears. It's like you've frozen something, and as you soften, you don't release it, and then this kind of hurtness can be felt, but it also can be breathed out. Not dismissing it, but just breathing through that like you're blowing over soup or something. Just feel the calming effect. Yeah. And you start to see these mechanisms, the running and the tightening, more than just intellectually, but emotionally, something you starts to learn, you know, to, to, to do less of that, uh, to at least not have it as a kind of ideological position we walk around in our life with, inclining to be more tolerant, more flexible, more flowing, inclining to be more open, more embracing, more accepting, you know, the, you know, the de- definite intention, inclination, you know, inclinations of renunciation, of openness, of gentleness, you know, and then when when the hot spots come and you find yourself tightening up, you know, at least we're not starting to recognize it rather than spin out a whole story around that and soften, relax, open it. Breathing in and breathing out is a great help with that. You know, it's like somebody can tell you how to ride a bike, but you've got to get on the thing. You know, you've got to actually be in that place and get some energy moving through that. You know, the, the energy follows breathing. Another kind of sign that we can see is the obsessiveness. Which is a form of fixity, but it's a fixity not of defense, but a fixity of kind of push. You know, got a thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to get this happening, I've got this particular line, I'm really going to, you know, get that going. Obsessive. Can be meditation obsessions, of course, for us. Could be particular projects or things we want to do, particular angles or, or people, you know. And you click into it, and the mind just starts, you know, pushing, pushing. Uh, the need to get somewhere, to become something. Yeah. And uh, we get kind of tunnel vision around that. You know, shuts down. It's kind of nice, actually. 
you know, most of these strategies have their, their agreeable aspects, otherwise we wouldn't do it. You know, running around is nice. You know, it's, you know, you, you don't feel the, the, the restlessness. Having some defenses feel, feel kind of comfortable and solid. And being obsessive. <laughs> Makes you feel you're really going places, you know, getting somewhere. You don't notice all those kind of untidy bits that don't fit in. You know, just, yeah. Yeah, one pet obsession. Playing the guitar or you know, reading a book. Writing a book. You know, and getting into it. And then the rest of the world with all its kind of inconclusive, irritating, fuzzy bits. You just kind of block it out. Yes. <laughs> you know? Again, so you just see where you can lessen that, or at least turn that towards something where it's more, uh, you know, resolve, deliberate resolve to to understand, to develop wisdom, to develop clarity, you know. And the uh, point is, as we do that, if it's working, you know, we are going the right way with that. We get we get less driven about any of it. Systems, techniques, meditation systems that you get less driven by. But it takes time, you know, certainly. 30 odd years of doing this. But, you know, I can know in my own, my own mind that the energy of meditating now is much more a kind of um, just um, comfortable. It's not, I'm not really thinking in terms of getting anywhere or develop anything, really, you know. The sense of just checking in because it's a comfortable place to be and, you know, Assessing what's going on, Just keeping the tools bright, checking out the corners I haven't been seen, checking out where life is stressing me, checking out my little obsessions, big obsessions. <laughs> Wisdom is a, is a given, it's something that we have, you know, if we're, uh, so, you know, if there's consciousness, there's wisdom. It makes you feel a little bit brighter, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of built in. It means basically if there's consciousness, there's the ability to, dis- to discriminate. This is black, this is red, this is painful, this is unpaint, this is pleasant. You know, that's the faculty, it's that, it just discriminates. This is, and, but that, as you develop it, it means you start to apply that, not just the object definition, but to, um, this is suffering, this is not suffering, um, this is wholesome, this is unwholesome. You know, this, this is the, 
you know, there's, there's a good result to this, there's a bad result to this. You know, so you're applying it like that. So it's the application. It's the path of wisdom is a given. And so in a way, it's kind of, you don't have to create wisdom, but you do have to, you know, put it through the, through the right processes so that it develops you know, in the way that's conducive to the ending of suffering. I mean, you could develop wisdom in terms of, you know, studying Pali texts or stamp collecting or, you know, understanding butterflies. You might become very wise and discerning on that level. But in this, we're using this insight so that it's, if it's the same system. You know, what's this, what's that? And with what you've... With wisdom, the other thing that's a given is our ability to step back, to get things in perspective, to get the big view, the broad view. You know, you can you can zoom in and you can zoom out. You might say your lens. So this ability to actually disengage from the topic in order to, to see it in greater perspective, see what you're doing with something, not just, you know, um, mesmerized, but stepping back. Viveka, it's called, it means coming out of the one-pointedness. So, you know, you, when you're obsessive, you get the one point on something. This is it. Viveka means coming out of that. To, hey, what's the effect of this? What's this doing? Where's it come, where am I coming from? So this is called, you know, unattaching or un, unhooking or, you know, or non-attachment. I prefer to use something verbal because it's much more, I sense it as, as a definitely uh, like an action where you're in something and you let, you know, unhook and there's a sense of stepping back. It's not running away from, you know, or having some view that something, you disapprove of something, but just I want to see this better. I want to see what I'm doing with this. So these two givens, you know, the ability to unhook and the ability to see are the things that primarily are to be developed in the practice, the path. And then you put, a, put this system through the paces, put it through the training program. Say, well, can you practice it this? You know, can you step back with this? It isn't always easy remember my first <clears throat> you know when I started meditating I'd never done any meditation never kept any precepts never renounced anything I mean I didn't go around killing people but I didn't actually have some sense of a, I'm going to do this I'm not going to do it I just did what seemed I felt like doing you know I didn't have a kind of you know moral regime so then suddenly I landed in a monastery where it's not just moral precepts, there's also routine, there's also meditation, it's also, for me it was just solitude. Suddenly you come off the street in Thailand, off running around the world, doing this, doing that, doing the other, and then poked into a little hut on your own. And there was nothing to do. Just eat the food. That was it. Once a day they bring some food to the hut. You didn't even go out for it. 
bring it. So the rest of the day is just there in this little hut with the heat. So it was kind of like a bit of a jumping over a cliff, you know. And then trying to do this so-called meditation on top of that. I mean, just surviving was enough, but actually meditating on top of it. <laughs> this sense of, to do this meditation, you know. Now, I had to, somehow in my mind, I figured if I could just do the meditation, I'd get it done. Then I could, you know, and then I could go back to doing whatever. You know, it was like a kind of little course. You know, well, maybe 10 days, a couple of weeks, and I'll crack this, and then I'll be off. You know? <laughs> I didn't really want to meditate, but <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it was the sort of sense of something that would just straighten your attention out a bit. So, you know, of course, when you, that amount of sense withdrawal, contact withdrawal, no running around, no ability to kind of shut off the heat because it was, you know, global, get it comfortable, you know, having to eat the food, not very get food when I wanted it, but just the, any old food that turned up. Mine went mad. You know? And then at the same time, you're trying to do this kind of focusing on the breathing at the end of your nose. <laughs> it's like, like trying to strike matches in a hurricane, you know. <laughs> This stuff going roll, roaring through there, and you're going to try to scratch the little match and get a hold of light up. This kind of torrent of stuff blasting through. Occasionally, get a little glimmer before the thing would snuff out, you know. And so, the, you know, the idea of, you know, wow, calming or anything like that, I mean, so I could sort of sit there just about, which is actually quite good, really. I could sit still at all. Um, but then well, eventually all I could do, I couldn't, it was just actually just look, look, this is the mind, you know, step back. Somewhere I could find a place in my mind where I could just step back and look at this kind of crazy stuff as just, there it is. <laughs> you know, you couldn't fix it, change it, train it. It completely threw off any any ability to control it. It's just you know you come to some like now you now you sit down you sit down and watch the breath. <laughs> it's like you know like you say that to a mad rhino. You know <laughs> you sit down and watch the breath. <laughs> it wasn't having any of that stuff. <laughs> so you know oh, I can't I can't remember what can I do you know. Ah, and then you know you're stuck inside this little wooden box in the heat. Uh, basically, just kind of kind of sit back and there it is. <laughs> you know, there was, there's still that that given of of some ability to unhook, to detach, to the sense in which one isn't sort of you know actually acting upon any of this stuff. Or, or um, endorsing it, or or even rejecting it, you know, just there it is. In some sense of oh, it's just just it's just that, and you see that everything 
you know, it was all just conditioned. That is, it was could be, <coughs> you know, be people, to be events, to be music, but it was always none of it because it was intrinsically me. It was always me with something. There was always, you know, some sense, you know, the memories, me doing something or hearing something or acting a certain way or what I'd like to do. And eventually the, the me wasn't even there. You know, there's the actions that were there. There was the kind of desire and the, and the aversion and the fear and the agitation and the nostalgia. And there wasn't any, couldn't find any me in it. It was just these energies running through. Uh, you know, of course, you, yeah, this is my mind. But then, what's mine about it? If it was mine, I could make it a certain way. I certainly wouldn't have this bunch of rubbish. Um, I can make it do something. I can make it be something. Yeah. If it was mine, it would be somehow, it would fit my wishes. But actually then, you know, you get that sense of just, there that and even that little bit of wisdom little inch of wisdom little inch of detachment ah I can be here can be here can be here don't have to run don't have to defend you know don't have to so it's opening to that and out of that, for myself, certainly some sense of uh, uh, humor and uh, what do you say, you know, like a sense of just realizing how how affectable the mind is and how you know, neglecting that for 25 years it's just got all this. It's been affected by so many things I'd never really been clear about, decided upon. It's just like stuffing yourself with any old stuff that comes your way. And these are the effects. You know? So you get some sense of, wow, let's be careful and uh, healing or wishing to heal or wishing to hold carefully. Conscience and concern, scrupulousness, not moralizing, but really seeing how sensitive the mind is and how we use this sensitive thing for cleaning drains, you know, <laughs> for, you know, you just put it any old where and uh, put any old food into it and then also expect high performance out of it. Uh, and he starts to say, look, before I ask this thing to meditate or get enlightened or go anywhere brilliant, just let's, just let's look after it. Yeah. So this sense of, uh, you know, kindness, you might say, non-violence, non-violence uh, towards oneself. And then really sensing, you know, this is these effects because of causes. Avoid those causes, you know, and 
bring around, you know, so sense restraint, you might say, just clearing, checking, what do you really need, what's just, what do you want to put your mind into, what do you want to see, hear, touch, taste, think, be a bit more selective about that. Yeah, that's the way it seemed to me. So these kind of things you start to learn, you know, as you, so wisdom starts to learn things like conscientiousness, like loving kindness, like uh, sense restraint, like the value of, of generosity, or the value of forgiveness, the value of wise reflection. So you sort of build up, and then with that, I'd find that do that, and then mine will feel a little bit, hey, you know, somebody's finally looking after me, you know, <laughs> and start to sit, sit, and feel as I sit, oh yeah, I'm breathing in and out, oh yeah. It's not a big deal, it's not a big project, it's not an obsession, it's just a fact. I'm settled, yeah, I'm breathing in and out. And noticing the effects of breathing in and out. Noticing where one's restricted with it. So, and... uh, over time, just acknowledging that the defense pattern, the resistance pattern, has got a, a physical effect. There's a certain built-in sort of uh, shielding across the chest or tightening. And then just breathing in, just starting to loosen up this nervous tension. Yeah. Or a certain tightness in the belly, like a holding back. Starting to breathe out and let the belly soften and flow, you know. So you st- start to undo through through breathing the body old places where those locking mechanisms, those compulsive mechanisms, have actually become built into the, the nervous system, into the way we, we physically are structured. And that's the first. Tetrad of the first teachings on Anapanasati is like that, just breathing in, breathing out, breathing the whole body, calming the whole body, calming the energy in the body, calm, relieving the patterns of, of anxiety, trembling, tightness, rushing, panic in the body. Yeah. Get to the hard wiring of it. And everybody has this, I'm sure. So we come behind the topics to the to the the holding of them, breathing through the mind, the condition, the programs of the mind, the rushing, the anxiety, the guilt, you know, the irritations, feeling of unworthiness. Yeah. feel the kind of fluttering or the sinking in the heart with those everybody has this different proportions it's not yours it's not an insurmountable you know step back mm. 
step back by giving all the time in the world, taking a moment at a time. So that kind of mental attitude is a, is a shift to non-attachment, isn't it? Because the mental, psychological, emotional tightening is always, oh, hurry, you've got to find this, got to make it, oh, no, 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 stop it, oh, I can't manage it, it's like that. So it's just all the time, the world. Very important. Because this is why, of course, we don't have time to meditate. Or we're not in the right state of mind to meditate. Yeah. Because of that, and that's why we need to meditate. Because something that says we don't have time. Because we're not in a good enough space right now to meditate. That's why we need to meditate. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and uh, it's not to say, you know, you've got to bolt yourself into some obsessive technique, but at least turning towards the, the softening, the yielding, the relaxing, breathing, taking time, looking, you know, creating space. And just also just the, the incredible uh, benefit of being able to see through these topics to the, the raw energies. You know, see through the, it's his fault, it's her fault, why are people like this? And see, wow. You know? Okay, that's Dukkha out there. Does it have to come in here? <laughs> you know, people are irritating and da 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 da. You know, one level. You know, does it have to come in here? Mm-hmm. So this is this beauty of of cultivating uh, non-attachment. So it doesn't mean that, you know, we're sort of sealed off. But when your own mind and heart come to balance, then there's a possibility we can bring forth a response to the world around us that's more, isn't coming with frustration or sourness or greed or restlessness. It's actually a true response, useful response. Breathing through the mental formations No, you don't have to be breathing it even. It's just uh, breathing is a vehicle. It's a bus, you might say, to carry the wisdom, the calm, the kindness, the non-attachment. You can use other buses if you like. Or if it works, I find it a very thorough, if sometimes tricky one, to get on. Mm-hmm. But it also shows us the, uh, you know, the mind can be come out of those activities, those programs, and just be like a sense of presence, of knowing. Yeah. 
like the breathing in a way just helps to cover the activities and steady it so that we can sense this quality of present mind, knowing mind. Steadying, gladdening, resting in that. Releasing it from these obsessive, obsessive patterns. Through recognizing, you know, the, you know, that they all come and go, they change. Is there anything, you know, ultimately to get hooked onto? And if we are going to pick something up, let's pick it up from our brightest, clearest place. And so we learn, you know, it's not, no one's going to get it right day one, day hundred, maybe a day thousand. But we get closer to that. Get a little further on riding the bike before it topples over, you know. But the, you might say that the result that it always, you know, come back to is seeing this kind of what we infer a self, a person, a me, an agent, or, you know, in, in actions, when they're, this is just actions. And it's in the blur of actions that we infer the somebody doing it. There's just the blur, the volition, the push. And as long as there's that kind of echoing shadow of I am, I am this, there's always some sense in which this thing starts to need something or want something or, you know, then it gets obsessive. You know, spiritual practices are full of these kind of patterns. And the Buddha taught, and the big thing was everybody was, all the spiritual community were generally into mortification. People standing on one, and they're still doing it. Two and a half thousand years later, they're still doing it. <laughs> they're still standing on one leg, <laughs> letting, you know, for 15 years, so the other leg rots away, still holding their arms up in the air, still kind of rolling themselves in ashes and starving and beating and wearing chains and stabbing themselves and putting nails through their ears and cheeks and things. Still doing it. You know, that feeling of keep, you know, this is what we're going to get there. We're going to get rid of defilements. We're going to get rid of passion. We're going to get rid of karma. Burn it off. Work it out. You know, the power of obsession 
Because somewhere, you know, there's a sense of I and to get liberated. And as we follow that obsession, there isn't liberation. So we think, brother, not trying hard enough. But it's just that there isn't. (laughs) There isn't something to get liberated. It's just the liberation from holding that that view. So just, you know, maybe, you know, worry about whether there's a self or isn't self. Just notice obsessiveness. Notice the drivenness. Notice the goal orientation. Feel what that feels like. See how it goes, you know, whatever your whatever one's current obsession is, towards satisfaction, towards getting it straight and right. You know. Does it get there? And if we abandon that, there's that feeling of well I well, you know what should I, but isn't, you know, suddenly we're in, in the real world with all its confusions and tangles and inconclusiveness. Breathing in, breathing out. Oh, it's out there, it's there, it's not here. So it's always that, just that dis- Distinction, you know, between where dukkha as a characteristic of formed, compounded things, social forms, physical objects, sense data, comings and goings, and dukkha of struggling to get out of it, struggling to. You come to the struggling and the attempts to not struggle or to not feel the struggling. Breathing in, breathing out. Well,